Hey, this is Shannon from Slapdash, and this episode is sponsored by 606 Iron. Located in the Big M Plaza in Whitley City, Kentucky, 606 Iron has cardio equipment, free weights, numerous weight training machines, weekly kettleball classes, and tanning beds. Stop by 606 Iron for membership information or call 606-310-4918. History, art, science, and everything else. They slap down a new topic and dash off to next. It's a great big world with so much to know. Like cryptids, time travel, and the history of Poe. If you want to be a smarty, better learn something fast. With Shannon and Jason on Slapdash Podcast. On today's episode, we're discussing the history of labor in the United States. Across the table is a man who knows the value of a hard day's work. Jason Creekmore, how are you, man? I'm doing well. I have my lunch pail here, yeah, right? I'm right. ready to go. I'm ready to slap a dash. Are you really? Yeah. That's awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm fired up. What, what would one find in a lunch pail that, that you take to work? In my lunch pail, it would be uh, a peanut butter sandwich. Okay. Got, uh, gotta have it, regardless. Maybe, yeah, probably like a 100-calorie bag of chips, like like a Pringles or Cheetos, just a small bag. Okay. No Doritos or uh, Maybe, like yeah. yeah. Uh, and then uh, probably like, just like a Diet Coke, Diet Mountain Dew, something like that. All right, man. Yep. Sounds pretty good. Yep. Yeah. I've always heard that if you have like two sandwiches in your lunch pail, you have to eat both because you know what happens. Like if your wife makes the sandwiches for you the next day, if you don't eat both, then you're you're only going to get one the right. next day. Yeah, <laughs> you're sort of, for, for that point on, you're just destined to do one. If, just throw it away if you have to, right. right? But always make sure that you don't come back with with anything, right? That's it's got to exactly be right. empty. You, you've got to empty it out, otherwise you're going to have a little bit less the right. next day. So yep. got got to be careful, man. So this episode will be releasing on Labor Day, a day that is traditionally a day of rest across the U.S., but also a time of barbecue, grilling out, and just kind of having some fun it's it's a day off from work that sounds pretty cool yeah i like that so jason how will you be spending labor day this year well shannon i'm going to be perfectly honest with you tomorrow <laughs> i am going to be uh, spending labor day uh, decorating for fall oh really i'm going to go buy some pumpkins tonight at kroger okay. i'm going to buy a lot of pumpkins i'm kind of getting in the halloween spirit already i feel that and uh, that's what i'm going to be doing tomorrow i like that the, yeah. the weather's already started to calm down just a little bit it's been so hot this uh, summer yeah like i think unbelievably uh, like hot. this morning uh, i went out and uh, walked the dog and i think it was 55 degrees outside oh. and that was around eight o'clock this morning so it yeah. was you could kind of feel the subtle change in the air a little bit even, just, even just the grass touch. is starting to look a little bit different yeah, yeah. We, we turned our heat on for like half an hour this morning because oh when we my got up goodness. i know man what's what's going on we we are on the cusp of fall it's it's happening i, I can sense all, the leaves falling i'm all for it michael myers is on the street corner I i'm mean, not he, he's i'm gearing up i'm not for that but <laughs> i'm all for watching the movies but i don't actually want him on my street that's right. well we are talking about labor day and i yeah. guess even michael myers has a job to do it's very seasonal <laughs> that's right but i work one day a year <laughs> he gets it done though he sure does yeah so jason since we are talking about occupations and jobs i, I thought maybe we could start this episode by just talking a little bit about the the kind of work that we've been involved in over the course of our our lives oh, so yeah. so jason currently you're a you're a college professor that's what they tell me have you always been a college professor uh, not always shannon just for, the, for probably the last <laughs> seven or eight years uh in in a previous life when i was uh, much younger and much more impressionable i worked <laughs> at an establishment known as dairy queen oh the great dairy queen the great dairy queen Royal, that's right royalty 
Yeah, uh, I uh, ate my share of ice cream while I was there. Okay. Everything was great. That was a really good summer. Yeah. That was the first time I ever like actually received a check that had my name on it. Oh, that's pretty cool. You know, I thought I got like a hundred bucks. I, I thought was I, say, I, I, thought I was a millionaire. Or, oh, yeah. yeah. I thought I was a millionaire. It's like, <laughs> where can I go spend all this money? You know? so, so what did you do there? Did you actually make burgers? Uh, I, was a, I was the fry per- or the yeah, the uh, the uh, grill person. Okay. Right. I was doing the hamburgers, which is so ironic because I've never eaten a hamburger <laughs> in my entire life. I've never eaten a hamburger. Maybe that's why. But I was making them for the masses back there. <laughs> Just churning them out. Huh? Churning them out. Yeah. That's awesome. I never really had any complaints, so I hope they were good. And then uh, the following summer, it, it, the, the same uh, family owned both restaurants. God bless them. They were very nice to me. But the next summer, I worked at Arby's. Oh, yeah. And so I was excited to, you know, to also sort of be in the back. But at Arby's, they have the the, uh, the meat slicer. Oh, yeah. So you have to be 18 to do that. It's kind of scary. I wasn't 18. I guess I was 17, probably. Sure. So I had to work up front again. Oh. Uh, or or in, in that restaurant, I did. So I I've, uh, I've, I worked at Dairy Queen, Arby's. Then for probably about two and a half years when I was in college, I worked at a, a little local uh, VHS uh, you know, place called a Gold Eagle Video. That's kind of the dream when you're that age. That I always was, wanted to do that. Yeah, that was kind of in, in the, the heyday of the videos. Yeah. You know, I was always the person that would encourage you to you know, please be kind and rewind. I was say, right? Did you get to rewind a lot of those yeah. tapes? Do you know how bad I felt every time I had to like charge people for a quarter if they didn't? You know? oh, did you actually charge them? Oh, I had to. Yeah. Well, I didn't, that, well those were the rules. So. Didn't have to. Yeah. So you know, they would return the videos. <laughs> I would take them out. I would pop them open. I would scan them. Yeah. And then when I would scan them, it would return them in under their name. Okay. But then when I looked down, ooh, I now I saw all the ribbon on one side. Now would people stand there and wait for that though? I mean, if I knew that was coming and I didn't have a quarter and I'm kind of a lazy oh, no. bum, no, I just throw it down and run no, off. No, we, we actually had like a, a re, like an overnight return box. Oh, gotcha. So when I yeah. would go in to scan, so them, you just knew whose account it was attached. That's to. correct. Yeah, so you know, sometimes I had to I had to put the old quarter charge on there. Yeah, so uh, so I, I did Gold Eagle Video for probably about two and a half years, uh, and then I got my I guess my first professional job where I spent uh, I guess about thirteen years in uh, as a, a teacher and principal of middle school, yep. and then for the last seven or eight, I've been a professor. Man, and a podcaster. And a podcaster. That's right. So how about you? <laughs> so I, I had similar roots and yeah. beginnings. Yeah. I, I started out working at Burger King when I was a teenager. Same sort of thing. I was making the sandwiches. And they have the coolest process at Burger King. Uh, other, rather than having a grill, they have like this conveyor belt type thing. And you put the meat or whatever you're, you're putting through on one side, and it'll go through a conveyor belt and kind of over an open flame. And it just goes really slowly, and it just kind of gets pulled across hmm. on the conveyor about and it comes out the other side you dump it in a warmer and then you're ready to go so wow so i never actually flipped any burgers i guess that's the, sure yeah you know, that's the saying if you're gonna right. work at fast food you're flipping burgers but uh We're all, i was i was conveying burgers it's all the same thing right <laughs> yeah. it's all we we are producing burgers we're making burgers not for, for the masses except for jason creek that's right <laughs> after burger king i worked for iga at a, at a grocery store i did all sorts of things there i was a bag boy i did cashier stuff i did uh, a dairy manager which is so exciting as it sounds <laughs> i got to rotate the milk <laughs> <laughs> Make sure everything stayed nice and fresh. IGA. That's right. Master yeah. of the IGA. <laughs> the IGA. I uh, worked at a restaurant after that. I was a server. And uh, right after I got out of college for about three months, I work at, uh, worked at a data entry place where I would sit around on a computer for eight or nine hours a day just kind of keying in letters right. that angry letters people wrote to, to <laughs> some phone company <laughs> or something. Uh, after that, I began working as a teacher. And probably for the last seven or eight years, like you, I've been a professor. So 
man it's it's been a ride pretty similar what what a long strange journey it's been (laughs) (laughs) so let's talk a little bit about american labor as a whole so here are a few quick facts most american workers are employed in the service sector so similar to some of the things we've mentioned that's trade transportation utilities education and health services that that's where most people sure are employed makes sense not not football players you know, that's no. not like your primary I think occupation so. in America. Uh, millennials are now the largest generation in the U.S. labor force. 35% of the workforce, which is about 56 million people, are now considered millennials, those who were ages 23 to 38 in 2019. Okay. So kind of interesting. We're, we're seeing yeah. one generation move out and the other one kind of move in. Sure. It's the natural progress of yep. things. Uh, the wage gap between men and women has has made some significant gains. So that's good news, positive news right. on this labor episode. Uh, American women, uh, unfortunately, still earn about 85% on the dollar, according to a recent survey, compared to men. But the gap is much narrower with younger workers, which is an indication that things, oh, these times they are a change. It's getting better, right? A little bit. Yeah. It's getting better. In 2018, among workers ages 25 to 34, women's earnings were about 89%. So you can see that it's okay. it's one of the best points it's been in history, and it's only getting better. Right. So it's still not where it needs to be, but it but, is but getting there, moving in the right, right. direction. Yeah. Uh, the wage gap between educated workers, those holding a college degree, and those who do not, is the widest in decades. The median salary for college graduates ages 25 to 37 is $24,700 more annually than employed adults holding only a high school diploma. And in previous generations, the gap was significantly smaller. So we're seeing the value of college being much more important in the current age than it's been in the whole last decade or so. I think there are certain jobs like uh, maybe with uh, like welding, for example, where people... uh, you know, having a uh, a college degree is not necessarily required for that job, sure. and, you, and you can still make quite a bit of money. Oh, actually, quite a bit more money. than even more. A, a yeah. lot of folks who who have college degrees, but I don't. But I think that's sort of uh, an exception to the rule. I mm-hmm. think that there there aren't many many kinds of those jobs out there. I think you know, welding is just one example. Such a specialized thing, and you have to have a, yeah. sp- such a high level of expertise. You can't in, really be like a casual skill. welder, right? I know my Halloween outfit now. What are you going as, Jason? I'm a casual welder. I'm not very good. You know, that's right. I'm just, I'm just okay. This, this is just a hobby. I'm more of a hobby level. That's welder. right. Yeah. But no, I think that that's an example of how uh, you know one can make you know quite a bit of money without a college education. But I, but I don't think that there are tons of those jobs out there like that. I sure. think that's sort of uh, kind of uh, unique. It is. Yeah. So let's go ahead and begin with the earliest versions of work in America. Let's go all the way back to 1776. I bet they didn't have uh, like a video <laughs> store or no, Dairy man. Queen back then, huh? No. Wow. What was it? The Golden Eagle? What, what did you say? Gold Eagle. Gold yeah. Eagle. Gold Eagle Video. <laughs> Gold Eagle Video. That's right. Yeah, it was nowhere to be found in 1776, but it was on its way. Uh, it just had humble beginnings, I'm sure. Uh, the very first version of work in America, Jason, was agriculture. The concept of the American Work Week began in colonial times and it was pretty much related to farming the the classic family farm and farmers worked 12 hour days for six or seven days per week 
which is about 72 to 84 total work hours. That's a lot of hours. That's a lot of hours. It's, uh, you know, farming and agriculture, that's, um, uh, you know, pretty strenuous work. Yeah. And this was prior to the industrial age, so they're doing a lot of this by hand. Right. They're just out there in the fields, uh, you know, farming the land. You know, work days tended to be longer in the summer when the length of the days was longer, and it was a bit shorter in the winter. And these days were comprised of eight to ten hours of hard manual labor, followed by two or three hours of additional farm or craft work. So even when they were finished with that hard manual farming of the land, they would still go and make crafts and things that they could sell at the market or to neighboring farms. Hmm. So it's almost like the day never ended. It it was work, 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 sleep, work, work, work. Right. That's kind of how it went. In 1793, the invention of the cotton gin by Eli Whitney revolutionized the production of cotton. Cotton was America's leading export in the mid-19th century, and the cotton gin was used to remove seeds from cotton fiber. It significantly enhanced the the manner in which they were able to produce cotton, and that was a good thing for uh, agriculture. And by this time, America had a thriving middle class, which is you know not not super typical for all developed parts of the world. You don't always have a middle class, but America did at this time. And these middle class farmers shipped tons of corn and wheat and rice to the West Indies and Europe. And um, it's it's important to note that this middle class, it was a significant backbone for the American labor force because they were just so incredibly important. And one of the first philosophers who recognized the importance of uh, sort of having a middle class was someone we've talked about before on the podcast, Thomas Malthus, uh, a British philosopher oh, yeah. and economist. He, he said it was very important that you had a middle class. And there are several reasons for that. Uh, one one of the most prevalent reasons is that that the middle class people group are those that are often the ones that drive innovation. And you know why why is it the middle class that drives innovation? Typically, the upper class consists of those who are already benefiting from the old way of doing things. Right. You know they they've made a lot of so, money. So why change? Yeah, well they really have no reason to innovate or try new things. Uh, the lower class, why while they may be willing to innovate often have limited opportunity to do so. So it kind of stands to reason that the middle class are the ones who provide the innovation. They have just enough means to do so, but not a, so much stored wealth that they don't want to sort of change the status quo. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, they, they want to change things up a little bit. One remarkable example of innovation occurred in the Industrial Revolution, and I think that's going to move us over into our second era of, uh, of labor. So, Jason, what happened after the, the age of agriculture? From about the uh, turn of the 19th century to the 1840s, the Industrial Revolution uh, just exploded in America. During this time period, more and more factories were created, uh, and likewise, more and more people began working in these factories. Uh, Most of the factories were in the textile industry, dealing with cotton, like you just uh, had mentioned. Uh, As you'd expect, the conditions in the factories were certainly not the best uh, during this time period. Employees oftentimes were not happy with their working conditions, uh, you know, lighting, that type of thing, temperature. Uh, or their wages. In fact, the first factory strike in American history was led by women in 1824 in Pawtucket, Rhode Island, when factory owners were going to increase the workday by one hour, but simultaneously cut wages by 25%. Mm, That sounds like a bad strategic move. (laughs) Yeah, so (laughs) work more, less money. Yeah, (laughs) so they were going to make everyone work one extra hour a day, cut their wages by 25%, but only for the loom weavers. So the, the people that were in the position of loom weavers, a.k.a. women between 15 to 30. 
Oh, wow. So they were the ones who, who struck. They were the ones, who went on yeah, strike. Uh, absolutely. And, you know, also during this time, you know, steam power and gas lighting allowed factories to remain open longer. And by 1840, factory workers were working 12 hours a day on average uh, and approximately 68 hours per week. Man, that's a lot of time working. Still a lot of time. Yeah. Uh, during the 1840s to the 1860s, uh, we see the first signs of labor unions beginning to form. More and more workers, uh, you know, push for a uh, a 10-hour workday and overall better working conditions. Again, going back to the lighting and the, sure. the temperature and the cleanliness and those types of things. Yeah. Uh, the nation changed a great deal in the years prior to the Civil War, but the job market and normal work days looked very different between northern and southern states. By 1860, the northern states had already transitioned to industrialization while the South still focused on agriculture. In fact, about one-fourth of all Northerners lived in urban areas like Chicago, Cleveland, and Detroit, uh, which had many factories. The Civil War impacted the nation's economy, and by 1866, the National Labor Union was formed and pushed for the eight-hour workday. In 1869, another labor union, the Knights of Labor, was also formed. <laughs> I, love, I love that name. That's great. <laughs> the Knights of Labor. Uh, th- this union uh, also pushed for an eight-hour workday, but further pushed for increased wages and uh, child law uh, regulation and basically different laws you know, governing uh, child labor. Oh, sure. Because it was still pretty prevalent at that time, right? That you know, as far as having kids in the workforce. Oh yeah, yeah, and that had really been talked about for a couple of decades, honestly. Yeah. Uh, but it wasn't really until the the eighteen sixties that we start seeing a little bit of that kind of come to fruition. Sure. Before that, it was just sort of complaints and talking and uh, that type of thing. But eventually, there gets to be some some laws passed. I think at first at the state level, yeah. and then eventually at the uh, federal level. So, Shannon, tell us a little bit about uh, the the labor environment in America, uh, maybe past uh, or or post-Civil War. Post-Civil War. So beginning in the 1870s, 1874 specifically in Massachusetts, they began to pass the first enforceable 10-hour law as far as the workday goes. As you mentioned, a lot of labor unions and a lot of people had expressed that they did not want to be working these long, long hours, but yet there there still didn't appear to be a whole lot of meat to that just yet. But in 1874, that changed, and when the law went into effect, it initially applied only to female workers and did not come into full effect until 1879. By this point, the work week is still just over 60, uh, 60 hours per week. Uh, people started to grow tired of the 10-hour workday and started pushing for an even lower limit. And all over the nation, workers began striking and demanding, as you said, an eight-hour workday. So they're sort of back to that in the 1870s and pushing for that. The strikes result in violence that includes at least one bombing at an 1886 rally, and that dampened the movement quite a bit because people saw the the protesters as you know rioters and and promoting. I think violence. that was in was that was that in Illinois, I believe. I, I think it was. I think so. Yeah. yeah. Still in. 1892, Massachusetts reduces the maximum work week for women to 58 hours. So we're starting to see ourselves creeping toward that 40-hour work week, but we're not quite there yet. By the start of the 20th century, legislative effort across the country had reduced work hours significantly, especially for women and children, and in many jobs deemed hazardous, such as mining, which was really prevalent here in the South, especially where we're at. Oh, yeah, coal mining. Coal mining. Up to this point, uh, it's been argued that reducing the hours spent in a work week was good because it would create jobs and reduce unemployment. That was the narrative that was being put forth. Give us fewer uh, work hours because it is going to create jobs 
jobs, reduce unemployment. And, and the reason it would do that is because if workers work fewer hours, then the companies would have to hire more people, right, in order sure. to cover yeah, all the business yeah. that they needed to do. However, around the turn of the 20th century, the argument for a shorter work week shifted focus a little bit. And it's uh, social scientists begin to argue that long hours are unhealthy, dangerous, and ultimately counterproductive. And there's been more recent studies on this. I, I looked at a few of these. And some of the studies point to the following effects of overwork. Number one, reduced productivity. People get burned out. They eventually start falling behind in their work because if you spend 60 to 80 hours doing the same thing every week and not really getting to do any recreational type stuff. It's very draining. It's very draining and people just kind of get tired of it. A second outcome, a negative outcome of, of overwork is fatigue. People who work long hours express sleepiness, weariness, poor concentration, irritability, and increased susceptibility to illness. You, you get sick. Yeah. whenever you you overwork sort of your system just literally gets run down it does right. yeah it can't defend off against viruses and other things there are higher safety risks if you work longer jobs especially in those high-risk jobs anyway uh, when you work too much accidents and injuries are more likely yep. to occur neglected social life has been identified as a, a common negative consequence of working too much some have said that you should work to live and not live to work and i think Right. There's a good balance there that has to be struck. Free time with family and friends is healthy and necessary, but it can be neglected with too much of a workload. There's been some other effects. I'll just list these out real quickly of, of overwork. It leads to more stress, skeletal damage, which I thought was interesting, hmm. from maintaining awkward postures at work. And I could see that, especially typists and people who are in machinery that oh, yeah. you know isn't really built for their frame and right. that sort of thing. It, over time, that overwork and not allowing the body to compensate and heal can lead to long-term skeletal issues. Yeah. So kind of interesting. Can lead to obesity can lead to heart attack and even brain damage. I thought that was kind of strange, mm -hmm. but uh, one study indicated that people who work up to 55 hours per week have poor mental skills, including short-term memory and a reduced ability to recall words than those who work fewer than 41 hours. So it seems to be that at least scientifically and in this study, people who work more hours tend to not be able to have very good memory. And I'm not sure what it contributes to that. Maybe it's just the, the concentrated effort on whatever the workflow is and not really exercising other part of your mind. Right. You're sort of just sort brain. of like zoning in. Yeah. That's, that's a little strange, that's but it's also figure. interesting. Yeah. It is. Yeah. I don't know what the, the causation would be there, but there is a correlation and also a, a significant difference between people who overwork versus people who work fewer than 41 hours. So Jason, speaking of overwork, I think this is a good time to take a scheduled podcast break. What I need a break. I need a break. Let's, let's check out the, Where's my uh, lunch pail? <laughs> yeah, get get the lunch pail. <laughs> Give me that sandwich. Let's uh, if you've got more than one, let's let's split that one and uh, let's go ahead and take a look at the Slapdash store. And you and I will take a quick break. Hey everyone, we're happy to announce that the podcast now has a merchandise store. Shannon, everyone loves hoodies and everyone loves coffee. Yeah, and you can pick up a nice Slapdash hoodie or a Slapdash mug and drink your next cup of joe right out of a Slapdash cup. <laughs> we also have t-shirts and stickers. Yeah, we do. So come on by and log on to www.slapdashpod.com forward slash store. That's www.slapdashpod.com forward slash store. Welcome back. Uh, Shannon, did you like that sandwich? It's pretty good. It's pretty good, yeah. wasn't it? Could have used more more jelly. Maybe. Okay. So, All so right. do you like peanut butter and jelly or just peanut butter? Uh, but both. 
Okay. Yeah. That was also a quick sandwich. It I think was. that break was only about 30 seconds. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, know, you have to eat fast around here, <laughs> That's right? That's right. So, uh, again, welcome back. Today we are talking about Labor Day and not peanut butter sandwiches, uh, as well as the American work life in general. So, Shannon, during the 1930s, a couple of really important things happened in regard to the American work life. Uh, for starters, the Great Depression. Yeah, that's a big one. If there was any positive to the Great Depression, it was that uh, the roughly 20 to 25% unemployment forced employers to adopt six to eight hour work days instead of laying people off. So at least people were having some income. Right. They they were not getting to work as much as probably they really wanted to. Sure. Uh, I mean, I'm sure some people probably did want eight to 10 hours or 12 hours. The Great Depression went a long way to sort of help reestablish that eight hour work day yeah. uh, that people got used to during that time period. And then also in 1938, a little something called the minimum wage was signed into law by Franklin Roosevelt as part of the Fair Labor Standards Act. Uh, minimum wage started out, Shannon, at a cool 25 cents an hour. I always wondered. I, I didn't know how far we had come, but... <laughs> One quarter. That's kind of incredible. One quarter. Yeah. Uh, the 1940s brought about a massive demand for labor uh, due to World War II. More and more factories were opening in the late 40s after the war. Everything from car manufacturers to manufacturers of household appliances and electronics. By 1949, just 11 years after the passing of the minimum wage law, minimum wage tripled. So mm. now we're making... 0.75. 75 cents. 75 cents on per, the hour? Per hour. Yeah. Wow. By the end of the 1940s, on average, people were working fewer hours each day, fewer hours each week, and making competitive wages. This would swing back the other way in the 1950s as the declining and average work hours stopped and many Americans once again reverted back to the 10 to 12 hour work days. Mm -hmm. The cause of this was simply medical insurance. Oh, okay. Uh, employee related health costs increased, which made it cheaper for employers to actually schedule and pay employees overtime rather than to hire other, you know, other or additional full-time employees and then thereby also having to pay for their medical uh, sure. insurance, yeah. know, their, their, their part. So Very interesting. So that brings us up to around the 1960s and through the present. And there was an emerging trend that began in the 60s and is still present in today's working world. And that's the idea of the gig economy. You ever heard of this? I don't think so. This is when people kind of started moving away from having that full-time employment with one employer and more so just pieced out their expertise into gigs, sort of, oh, you know, okay. co contractual labor. They sort huh. of rent their services or sell their expertise on a contractual basis. Okay. This is especially noticeable in higher education with a noted increase in the, in the amount of courses and programs being taught by adjunct faculty rather than full-time faculty. This is a growing trend across oh, the yeah. U.S. Yep. Big time. Uh, adju uh, adjunct faculty are those who teach on a per-course basis, and oftentimes they are professors at multiple universities. They may have a full-time job elsewhere, and they sort of package all of that together. But that's a prime example of that gig economy. Right. You know, you're, you're sharing your expertise on a per implementation level sort of a part-time basis or perhaps multiple part-time base you know basis right. you know, at different universities or in this example with you know adjuncts yeah exactly like that another emerging trend is the concept of the overtime exempt position and this is something that's gotten a lot of flack in recent years and these are positions that often pay workers a salary but they're not obligated to pay overtime 
if workers exceed 40 hours of work in a given week. So yeah. the, the controversy there is that the salary positions, they could expect workers to work 50, 60, 70 hours, but they don't have to pay change the, the compensation because those employees are considered overtime exempt because gotcha. they, they make a salary. This has led to a return you know, to, to the large houred work weeks. And one study indicated that this trend started in the 70s and is especially pronounced among highly educated, high wage salaried people and consequently also like older men. For, for whatever reason, hmm. that this is when this typically happens. Uh, findings of the study indicated that people were expanding their work hours most often when the additional work time led to additional wages, but not so much is the case here with the overtime exempt because you don't actually get paid any additional money for doing that sort right. of thing. It's kind of popular also in the restaurant industry in managerial positions. Right. You have these managers who are experts at, at what they do and they get paid a flat base salary, but they're expected to be there anytime the light's on. Well, that's that's sort of like teachers. It honestly, really is. Right? I, yeah. mean, you know, I mean, teachers have a base salary and outside of like if you coach or do something like that, but I mean, in terms of like showing or showing up early for uh, supervision duty, staying late, staying late. Uh, you know, extracurricular basketball, football stuff. games, all that stuff. Yeah. Faculty meetings. Same thing. Yeah. That you're just paid one flat rate. Uh, although you some weeks you may work an extra two or three, four hours, then, you know, maybe uh, another week. Yeah. And, and no additional compensation. Right. So that's been one of the, the negative things that's happened over the, the last probably 50, 60 years or so. But Jason, that leads us up to current times and really a, a different kind of time that we're living in. So, Jason, <laughs> what can you tell us about? The year 2020, as well, it relates to labor. <laughs> well, Shannon, I'm, I'm going to have to say it. I'm afraid you are. Okay. Now, we, we have uh, talked uh, quite often about yeah. this particular term, sure. and we've talked about it since March, yeah. and we said that we sort of consciously made the decision that we're just not going to go there, right? Yeah. That we're just going to avoid that, and we're going to keep on podcasting, and this particular topic is in the news enough, mm. uh, but for this particular episode... I think we may just have to briefly touch on it. Are you going to say right? it? Right. Okay. So are you ready? I, I think Here we go. so. I'm going to say the word. I'm going to brace. COVID-19. Ooh. <laughs> it's the first time COVID <laughs> has been uttered on, on the Slapdash <laughs> podcast, but it's because of COVID that so much of the work life in 2020, it looks so different. It does. So it is appropriate to this episode. We, we've tried to keep the episode sort of evergreen, you know, sure. so that you can listen to them at any time period and they make perfect right. sense. But I think in this context... COVID-19, coronavirus, labor, it, it just has to be has to be uttered. Oh, I, I think people will uh, remember this if it's next year. I think they'll still remember. They'll remember, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so obviously, this this global pandemic here has really affected, obviously, you know, different industries, but definitely the restaurant industry. You sure. know, we have seen several restaurants go out of business. Yeah. Uh, some, uh, you know, smaller, like local mom and pop restaurants, uh, you know, sort of like, you know, regional or town favorites, and then also massive chains uh, yeah. have, have also shut down. Uh, there's also been uh, barbers, beauticians, uh, physical fitness gyms those are just some of the the uh, types of industries that have been affected movie theaters another uh, big one m- yeah movie theaters and some of these folks have been shut down permanently they've li- literally closed their business yeah. others thankfully have 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 survived but obviously covid has caused a, a a very different type of work environment i know personally my job has looked very different i'm sure yours has it's changed a little it's bit huh pretty much the same thing yeah we've been uh, working remotely quite a right. bit oh, oh the vast majority of the time we've been working uh, remotely. Uh, my wife is a uh, an elementary teacher, 
And, uh, of course, uh, her school district, they're not going back until October. So she has worked sort of a hybrid model. I think early on she was in the building with, with no students. Uh, for the last few days, everyone's been working uh, at home, uh, also remotely. So this has definitely changed the way that people people work, at least sure. uh in various industries, right? Especially, especially the, the educational industry. My uncle actually actually works in the uh, insurance industry, and I was talking with him the other night, and basically, you know, he was saying that I don't think he's been in his office virtually none since March, and I think many companies are beginning to realize they can actually do the work, right? They can yeah. complete sort of what's required sure. through different uh, technological uh, formats and backgrounds, you know, through Zoom. I know Zoom was very popular all it's of a sudden, much more popular. Microsoft Teams, those types of things, mm-hmm. and so. So I think uh, perhaps what America might find uh, in the next six months to the next year, two years, is that you may see a lot of commercial property that originally was basically being used for office people buildings. showing up and sitting in a seat, right. but now maybe not a need for it. Now I'm not so sure. I think maybe companies may be you know, figuring out, hey, you know, we don't have to pay rent. Yep. We don't have to pay utilities. We don't have to pay insurance. Yep. Uh, we can do this work from home. Now, obviously, not every industry is that way. I mean, mm-hmm. manufacturing is a little bit different, right? I mean, yeah. But in terms of uh, education and sort of what we do in some some other industries, uh, yeah, I think it's that it, it can definitely pull off because it has been pulled off. Yeah, in yeah. the last you know several months. That that's what's so compelling to this is I, I think this is going to be a game changer, honestly, for, for the whole world, and, and it has been already forever, forever. Yeah. yeah, because if this were something where uh, work sites were just shut down for a month, maybe even two months, you know, you could always make the argument that well, there's no way we could sustain that. That was such a short term trial. There's these other things later on down the road that we wouldn't know how to handle online and virtually. Right. But now that we've been in this for five to six months now, a lot of industries have seen sort of the full rotation of their workload, right. and they've handled it completely in a virtual yeah. arena. Sort of the uh, fiscal quarter yeah. You know, has sort of an overturn, so to speak. Yeah. You know, and so they're beginning to see, yeah, this is possible. You know, hey, we, we may save a lot of money by doing it this way. Ding, ding, ding. And, right. I, and I think that's probably going to be the, the lasting appeal to it. But on the other side, it's also, you know, a, a lot of employees enjoy that type of work. They found that by being away, they can still get the, the work done. And a lot of these negative implications of overwork don't necessarily apply. Right. When, you're, when you're working from the home office and you have this flexible schedule and, you know, maybe you can get some of the work done in the, the early morning, some of the midday, and then maybe even you work a little bit at night. But it's it's spread out in such ways that it fits into the convenient pockets of life. Right. It's, it's, mu- it's much more flexible. Right. It I is. mean, you can sort of address it. It's, it's no longer, you know, I'm in the office from eight to four, eight to five or nine to five or whatever it is. It's maybe I'm in the office for two to three hour windows and I can take a 30 minute break. Sure. But maybe I'm going to work up until seven or eight o'clock at Right. All right. So it's much more flexible. So I think it definitely has uh, appeal in, in that regard. But I think uh, I think some people actually would prefer to be at work. You know, I've, That's true. I've also heard the, I have too. you know, uh, I can actually accomplish more when I am at my desk. Well, you know, when I am at work that you know, I don't have the distraction of the dog yeah, exactly. or the distraction of the front door and the doorbell rings or the, that type of thing. So I can also see that as well. I can, too. And I've, I've heard interesting arguments, you know, about folks who have their workspaces at the kitchen table. And right. it creates this weird life work dynamic where it's like, is this the place I work? Or is this the place I eat with my family? And, yes. and, and it may, that's a hard distinction to make. And <laughs> yes. the answer is yes. And it's, <laughs> yeah. so, it's so funny that you said that because, honest to goodness, yesterday I just went and purchased and brought home a desk. 
Did you really? Uh, we we actually rearranged uh, our house. We took one of our daughter's bedrooms yeah. and moved it down, and we're going to make her old bedroom uh, an office. And we just moved in a desk for that purpose. Cause for my, that reason, yeah, because my daughters are working there with their with their school. Obviously, you know, they're yeah. doing it virtually. My wife's going to be working some virtually there. We're working. A, a lot virtually still there sure so yeah there's a need to kind of a, a professional place to sort of okay when i walk in this room mm-hmm. it's it, it's work time for a while yeah and and i think that might be the key to making that lifestyle more sustainable yep because it's hard especially with uh, families that have children you know who are still oh, yeah. in school that it yeah. makes it really hard and you know we all laugh when we see the youtube video of the newscaster who's doing a big <laughs> professional report <laughs> it's and awesome. the kid kind of waddles into the room in yeah. the, the walker yeah. i love that clip yeah because it's uh, true. But it's true. That, that's just real that life. Happens. You know, I mean, I, I've been in Zoom meetings and, you know, in the background, my daughter's like, I want a sandwich. <laughs> you know, can they see me if I walk behind you? Yeah, yeah. But no, they can hear you. Right. <laughs> and, and I think in some ways, too, this is sort of torn down that artificial barrier of, uh, you know, how sometimes in professional settings, not all the time, but sometimes it gets a little bit too stringent for its own good like, like oh yeah you, you, there's almost a facade of yeah. professionalism it, it's a little fake yeah you almost yeah. I, you almost border on saying thee and thou sometimes yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean right yeah. like that king james sort of professionalism <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> thou shall read the agenda that's right and we shall go from there yeah i, I would say we're moving more toward like an niv version right. or, or something yeah. of the workplace but yeah i i think having real life intersect work sometimes has done that it's it's sort of broken down right. that barrier because people will kind of laugh now and when that happens yeah, if we they all just understand chuckle. Yeah, yeah they just chuckle and go on yeah. yeah you'll be having a serious conversation with someone on zoom and here comes someone's cat going across the keyboard right. <laughs> you know and, and and recently i've i've actually begin to see more and more commercials uh with people wearing masks with people working at home sure you know those things did not exist the first two to three months right. of of you know on, on the onset of covid uh but now the commercials are very forgiving there, there's a very forgiving nature to them mm-hmm. there's a very helpful nature to them yeah. uh and so i, I think that's interesting i do too yeah yeah interesting dynamic so shannon one more thing that i'll mention uh, before we wrap up here uh, and i'm sure you've heard of this i think you actually sort of touched on it a little bit but we have been talking about this pretty much the same thing the the proverbial work-life balance mm-hmm. right so yeah. we've been talking about sort of this uh weird intersecting point uh especially right now having right to do now. both of those at home but the the work-life balance basically you know it is what it is it's trying to balance and, and maintain appropriate levels of your home life with your you know your family your friends things that you like uh, and your work life you know getting your job responsibilities uh completed so there are a few key points to think about uh, in regard to that uh, number one know that a perfect balance is important but it's never going to be perfect that's true so just kind of understand it's never going to be perfect there's always going to be like the emergency text message or whatever right. from either side you'll be at work yep. and you'll get the emergency oh the kids need picked up from school right now yep or you'll be at home at dinner and you'll get the text oh check out this email right this now report needs to yeah yeah a second point prioritize your health because no matter how good you are if you're dead you can't work <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a smart man, but I, I think I agree with that statement, <laughs> yeah. right? So yeah. prioritize your health, which obviously means exercise. Right. That's something I need to be doing a little bit more than I have lately. On that point, I'll just make a quick uh, inter- interjection here. It's funny. I read a book by a man named Todd Whitaker whenever I was teaching oh, yeah. middle school. And uh, he teaches, I mean, he, he wrote a really good book called What Great Teachers Do Differently, uh-huh. yep. which is good. And it's, it's used in a lot of uh, faculty oh, yeah. training and things. But he also wrote a book 
uh, and I can't remember the name of it, but it was something to do with like exercise in the workplace. But it's kind of funny because it's things like whenever you get a break, like pick up the stapler and like lift it like uh, like you're doing, uh, you know, lifting dumbbells. And it's like, you know, balance between two desks and do squats and things like that. So like literally like t- take a, you know, <laughs> yeah. I have a, uh, a, a gym timeout right here. That's right. right. Yeah. yeah. Just, just take a legit break. I'm going to do some squats. Look here around you and find out what creative ways you can use those paper clips. That would be awesome during a Zoom meeting to just like after like 15 minutes sort of look at your watch, you know, and say, well, time for squats. Oh. And then just go ahead and do it. Don't just even to, say, just so that your head just keeps like <laughs> just emerging and then disappearing in the, in the screen. So Carol, can you read the next part of the agenda, please? And just, just don't even break character, man. Yeah, this briefcase is so heavy. <laughs> uh, another point, uh, and this is something that I think is is extremely important, not as important as not dying, but <laughs> but but also important, is that don't be afraid to unplug. And yeah. I think especially with the onset of technology and the uh, development of technology like it's been in regard to communication, especially the last probably five to ten years, sure. uh, it's very possible to never unplug if you did not. I mean, if, yeah. if, if you didn't want to, you could literally all the time people's texting, people's emailing uh, constantly. And so th- there has to be a point to where you can kind of let your guard down mm-hmm. and watch a movie or go for a walk and not have to worry about trying to fix a problem that that comes in like within 10 seconds yeah or something and as a compliment to that there's a book called deep work that that came out in the last few years and it talks about taking intentional time even in to, to get better work done to sort of disconnect and i know that sounds funny because right. we always think of disconnecting in the context of like our our social life our home life right but you you should disconnect at work too at least for time periods like yeah, just turn, turn off the email. Brief. Yeah. Turn off the the teams. Put your phone away. Like if you have a project to work on in just a lot x amount of time and kind of time chunk what you're doing, right. and then turn it back on. You know, because man, even though that stuff is like productivity software, it's really hard to concentrate on like a really deep important task where you really have to get into the think tank a little bit to do right. it. Oh, yeah. When you're having like text messages pop up and emails rolling in, because I'm the kind that I I have to see what it said. I I just if it's there, I yeah. can't just let it sit. I'll well go ahead and. It. Yeah, it has to be gone in order for me to to move on right. with life. But anyway, that's that's one little point, uh, which is it's a very good point. Another one is take a vacation. Yeah, actually, yeah. actually take a vacation, even if it's like a, a staycation, which I guess a lot of people have done in the the last few months. Sure. And then finally, uh, make time for loved ones, mm. or you can also say lo- you know loved activities. If you enjoy hiking, then you need to make some time for that, That's or right. whatever it is, because you know people. I don't think they were placed here to just work and die, right? That's I mean, right. you know, life is short, and so people should enjoy that. So those are just some tips in order to maintain work life balance. I know a lot of companies, a lot of industries are really focusing on this concept. Yep. Uh, I know some companies actually will email uh, their employees ever so often and say, hey, uh, let's, why don't everybody take like a, an hour break and then we'll get back at it. Yeah. Um, I know some companies like uh, Google, yep. uh, for instance, and I think Facebook, they have very sort of revolutionary ways of kind of giving people breaks and actually encouraging a nap. I was going to say they have at, a nap time. They, they have like a, it's sort of like kindergarten where, you know, if you had the old <laughs> mat, you remember, yeah. you know, so I, I got an A in the, in the, the napping department, but yeah. Yeah, so I think maintaining work-life balance, especially right now, mm. if you are having to work from home, I think that's really important because, yeah, in some ways it's in some ways it's more convenient, in sure. some ways it's easier. But 
but there are some ways where it's actually more difficult. Yeah. And so I think still trying to maintain that balance is very important. 100%. And, you know, just around that whole conversation out, I, I've heard it said that whenever a man or a woman at the end of their life looks back and tries to point to any regrets they might have had, never will they say, I wish I'd worked more. You know, right. that, that's not yeah. going to be one of the things. I wish I'd answered 10 more emails. Just 10 more. Right. You know, I wish I could yeah. have been uh, 10% more productive. Just, just three more spreadsheets. On that project. Yeah. But yeah, I think balance is, is definitely important, especially in this day and age when we are, a lot of us are working from home or in the very least doing some sort of hybrid type of schedule. So Jason, that that is, those are all the notes I have. Anything else you want to add as we close this one out? I have, I have no more notes. My lunch pail is empty. We have no more peanut butter sandwiches in there. So I guess it's time to go home. All right. Sounds good. Thanks to all of our listeners who are following the podcast each week. We encourage you to share the podcast with a friend, subscribe if you're not already subscribed, and also follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram with the handle at SlapdashPod. And we'll catch you in the next episode. I hope everyone has a good day off work. <laughs> <laughs>